you at this moment, but during the, the worship time, uh, I heard the Lord saying uh, for someone here, uh, today is the day. Today is the day. Um, don't wait. Um, better sooner than later. If you wait till later, you wish you had done it sooner. If you do it sooner, you'll be grateful later that you did it sooner than not later. That's what I don't know. I don't know what the what is, but if, if you're in a decision-making process, today's the day. Just step out, take the risk. All right, how do you spell faith? R-I-S-K. Step out in faith and do it. Do it. Today's the day. Okay, so that uh, rings true with anyone at the end of the service. Come up and I'll pray with you. All right, we can uh, just give an affirmation to that to the Lord and uh, see what happens. It'll be good. So last week, uh, in mentioning the impact of the Holy Spirit on the original apostles, we saw that they were compelled to give themselves to the ministry of the Word, the ministry of the Word. And the word used for word in the Greek is the logos, give themselves to the Logos, the ministry of the Logos, or as defined by Strong's Concordance, the divine expression. But we will give ourselves to the ministry of the divine expression. I really like that. I've been just chewing on that all week. Um, So what would that look like in practical terms for you or I in our time, in our condition, right? What condition is your condition in? And we've got to think about that sometimes, although we all hate to, right? Denial is not a river in Egypt. Or even in our context, what would it mean? I mean, as image bearers of Jesus Christ to the world, how would that play out to give yourself to the ministry of the divine expression? as an image bearer of Jesus Christ. And I necessarily have to come back to Jesus himself in his context when he was in our condition, that is, as a human being living in this world. Remember, he did that. He was fully human. He wasn't just God with a disguise on. Okay, He was fully human. So he walked all his stuff out just like you got to walk all your stuff out. The scriptures say that he was tempted in all ways. That's huge. How expansive is all? How inclusive is all, right? He was tempted in all ways, just like we are, and yet without sin. So we can look at him in that context and let that mirror image bounce back and forth and figure out a few things. I think he makes a pretty clear statement in Matthew 20, verse 28. He says, even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve. Servanthood, not only along the lines of the cost of kingdom servanthood, giving your life as a ransom for many, giving your life for the well-being of others, all of of that, you know. But even beyond all of that, 
and, and it can get pretty extreme. Uh, there are also motivational dynamics involved in servanthood within the framework of the kingdom of God. Okay. Now here is where it can get really tricky because both greatness and leadership in the kingdom are evaluated on the basis of servanthood. I'm going to say that again. Both greatness and leadership in the kingdom are evaluated on the basis of servanthood. Not by me. By him. Okay. So reverse the statement and we can say that the pursuit of servanthood produces great leadership by kingdom standards. But the pursuit of greatness or leadership does not necessarily produce a servant's heart. Did you catch that? The pursuit of servanthood produces great leadership in the kingdom by kingdom standards. But the pursuit of greatness or leadership does not necessarily produce a servant's heart. First will be, last will be first, the least will be the greatest, right? He flips everything kind of upside down and says, now work with this, right? So you want to be great in the kingdom? Be servant of all, right? Here is Jesus' statement on the matter within the context of what was happening that led to the statement in Matthew 20, uh, beginning verse 17. As Jesus was going up to Jerusalem, he took the 12 disciples aside, and on the way he said to them, See, we're going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and scribes. They will condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles to be mocked and flogged and crucified, and he will be raised on the third day. So how would you like to hear that from your best friend? So, hey, you know, take a trip with me. Be my companion. Be my company. Well, where are we going? Well, I'll tell you halfway there. Right? Yow. So after that statement, the mother of the sons of Zebedee came up to him with her sons, and kneeling before him, she asked him for something. He said to her, well, what do you want? She said to him, say that these two sons of mine are to sit one at your right hand and one at your left in your kingdom. Jesus answered, you do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I am to drink? They said to him, we are able. They didn't even know what the cup was, quite frankly. You know, sorry, because they didn't, right? When the cup came, they cut and run, right? He said to them, you will drink my cup, but to sit on at my right hand and at my left hand is not mine to grant, but it is for those for whom it has been prepared by my father. And when the ten heard it, right, I love this, they were indignant at the two. Right? What are these guys up to? What's going on here? Undermining our authority? You trying to take my place? Hey, I was number one. Right? This is Peter. This is Peter. What are you doing in my stuff? Back down, John. 
But Jesus called them to him and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. It shall not be so among you. It's not about position. It's not about position. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be your slave. Wow. The pursuit of servanthood produces great leadership by kingdom standards. If you want to emerge in the kingdom, get low very low. We talk about serving God, but this phrase can be a bit nebulous. Serving God means loving and serving others. If you say you love God and you hate your neighbor, right? Whoa, sorry, Billy. <laughs> you're right, right? You say you love God and hate your neighbor, you're a liar. God is not with you. So having the heart of a servant is incredibly important. God shaped us for service, not for self-centeredness. I, I am sure the me generation must be very abrasive to the Holy Spirit. I always thought, what's that thing that people do when someone's taking a selfie and you jump in behind it? Photobombing, yeah, yeah, yeah. We, don't ever travel with Katrina. <laughs> Where are we? In Cambodia at the uh, big ruins over there. I don't know. It's a big tourist site over there. And we, we had a day and we went in with touring. There's uh, thousands and thousands of people. And everyone's taking selfies with all this stuff behind them. And Angkor Wat. Yeah, we're in Angkor Wat in Cambodia, right? And she must have photobombed 150 people during that uh, little tour of that. I mean, she, like, you know, <laughs> I did not photobomb anyone, <laughs> nobody, <laughs> no proof that I was there. <laughs> Thank you. We love our neighbors. <laughs> I just wonder if, if the Holy Spirit ever photobombs anyone. This is me. Without a servant's heart, we are temp tempted to misuse our gifts and abilities for personal gain positional advantage or as an excuse to exempt ourselves from meeting the needs of others. Our servant's heart will reveal our depth of maturity because God's measure of maturity is our willingness to serve. And God will often test our hearts by asking us to serve in ways we're not used to. It is possible to serve in church for a lifetime without ever being a servant. 
This is because to be a servant, you must have a servant's heart. How can you know if you have the heart of a servant? Well, let's look at a few points that will help us self-evaluate. First one is servants make themselves available. Servants make themselves available. I, I'm always intrigued. This was particularly true when we took the um, senior class trip to Israel uh, last year. Uh, in the preparation, I mean, we met with these kids for eight months prior to the trip, and we'd gather and we'd open in prayer. And, of course, the first, first question from uh, Rick Duba, the principal, was, who wants to open in prayer? Except for Pastor Dick and Katrina, who wants to open in prayer? We'd spend five minutes arguing these kids into opening with prayer. You know, what's with that? I mean, what a privilege, what an honor. But see, it, it happens in here. They think it has to happen up here. I, w I won't be able to think of the right thing to say. Excuse me. But if you begin to say it from here, the right thing comes out of here with a flow that doesn't start here. See? And a servant's, a servant's heart is eager to pray. I'll pray. I'll pray. Let me pray. Right? Servant does that. Second Timothy 2.4 says this, No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. I don't know if that's true in our U.S. forces these days. But soldiering in the first century, prior to the first century, was a lot different. You really gave yourself to your Caesar, your king, your company commander, your generals. I mean, there was a sense of dedication. If he said, listen, fall on your sword, he just did that. You know? No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. You've been called, you've been enlisted into the kingdom of God into the army of the Most High God. And, and if you don't think you're on, on battleground turf, think about the last thing you prayed when things went belly up for you or times got tough. Who did you turn to, right? Who did you accuse? Uh, devil's after me, you know? Devil did this. Satan did this, you know? I mean, we say it, in our responses, but we don't live intentionally to respond to it properly. But a servant does. A servant is aware that he has a loyalty to his master. And anything that's opposed to that, he's opposed to. So there's an awareness of the atmosphere around you. Servants have settled in their hearts that they are on call 24-7. We can say in general that servants make themselves available to their masters. They want to be ready to jump into service when called on. A soldier is always ready to answer the call or command to serve. Is that right, Mr. Shepherd? That is what they say. I remember, what was it just a year ago? 
when the call came in. Pack your bags, get ready, get all your stuff in order, get everything down to Fort Devens, Korea's calling, right? And what did you do? That's right, because that's what a soldier, that's what a servant does when the master speaks. Right? If you only serve when it's convenient for you or when it's doing only the things you like to do. Right? That's my favorite pet peeve. That's not a real servant's heart. Real servants do what's needed, even when it's inconvenient. Are you available to God at any time? Now, don't answer that lightly. Because when your phone starts ringing at 3 a.m., you're going to question, what did I do? Because <laughs> he'll take you at your word. He'll test that. He'll try that, right? Can he mess up your plans without you becoming irritated or resentful? And if you don't think you can get irritated with God, let's deal with honesty. Right? Being a servant means giving up the right to control your schedule and allowing God to interrupt it whenever he needs to, and more importantly, recognizing he can use whoever he wants to do that. Ouch. Oh, no. Don't answer the door. It's them again. <laughs> Jesus calling. If you will remind yourself at the start of every day that you are God's servant, interruptions won't frustrate you as much, as much. Okay. <laughs> Give you a little, what do we call that? Oh, margins. We're going to call it margins. You have some margins, right? Because your agenda will be whatever God wants you to bring into your life. Remember, all your time, every moment belongs to God. Actually, you know, if God shuts off the air valve, all your moments end. Just like that. Do you ever see a person have an aneurysm? Sitting there talking, all of a sudden, they drop dead. Right? Boom. Life's over. On they go. Right? You think you got control of your time and your destiny? It all belongs to him. It all belongs to him. We sing it. You are the air I breathe. Right? Servants know that. It's all right to have plans, but it is God who orchestrates our steps. So be ready and willing for God to take the lead. Servants see interruptions as divine appointments for ministry. Uh, I, I think I've shared this. I, I know I, I have at different classes I teach. Um, Robbie Dawkins, do you, do you all know who Robbie Dawkins is? So he, he was a vineyard pastor and was it Michigan or Detroit or some really rough neighborhood? I mean, gangs came into his church one Sunday morning with guns drawn, you know. We're going to 
kill the pastor in the pulpit, and they end up all on their knees, bawling their eyes out, crying, because he didn't see that as a threat. He saw that as a divine appointment. Yeah, you know, converted two rival gangs in the city. I mean, there was a bloodbath going on. They brought it all under the grace of Jesus Christ because he had a servant's heart and a servant's worldview. Oh, awesome. They're here. They came into God's house, <laughs> and there was a servant active in the pulpit. They thought he was a preacher, but he was a servant. Mm-hmm. Servants are happy for the opportunity to practice serving. Philippians 2, 5, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours, which is yours. Say, this mind is mine. This mind is mine. In Christ Jesus. Mm -hmm. Who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. Have that mind in you, in Christ. Servants do, this is number two, servants do every task with equal dedication. Colossians 3.22, bond servants, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters not by way of eye service or as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord. As for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance, the inheritance, which is what, you know what your inheritance is? That's your gift. The Holy Spirit. Hmm? You already have eternal life. That was the free gift by grace to you. Your inheritance is given by the Holy Spirit. Wait for the promise of my Father. You shall receive power. Right? He is the down payment. He's the document the signed, sealed, delivered document, when you receive the Holy Spirit, the Father is saying, mine and all that I possess is now yours. You're my son. You're my daughter. Right? You'll receive the inheritance. He, he loves the servant's heart. Bond servants obey in everything. Whatever they do, servants do it with all their heart. The size of the task is irrelevant. The only issue is, does it need to be done? You can never arrive at a place in life where you're too important to help with menial tasks. Chew on that for just a second. I know it might taste bitter in your mouth, but it'll get sweet in your belly. If Jesus didn't, then we cannot. God will never exempt you from the mundane. It's a vital part of your character building. 
Galatians 6, 2 through 4. This is in the uh, NLT version. Share each other's burdens, and in this way, obey the law of Christ. If you think you are too important to help someone, you are only fooling who? Okay. Uh, go ahead. Yeah. Why don't you all read that out loud? I'm not all that important. All right? You're not that important. <laughs> That's why you got to read a lot of different versions, you know, to really get the impact of this. What a, what a revelation, right? I think we could ask the Holy Spirit to come right now and just kind of embed that into our hearts. You're not that important. Pay careful attention to your own work, for then you will get the satisfaction of a job well done, and you won't need to compare yourself to anyone else. Wouldn't that be nice? What a weight off the shoulders. You know? It is in these small services that we grow like Christ. Jesus specialized in menial tasks that everyone else tried to avoid. Washing feet, right? Okay. Helping children. Fixing breakfast. And here's a great one. Serving lepers. Think that's doable today? Any of you get the newsletters from the hills? So they've been over in uh, Phuket. Where is that? Thailand? Thailand, right? They've got a base there. And then they've been going up into the Himalayas out of there. And this year, they got an invitation to go into an island in the Philippines that's pretty much controlled by a Muslim radical group that's at, actually at war with the Filipino government. And um, his last newsletter, he, he enclosed a picture where you see his back, and from here down, a whole group sitting in a circle on a wooden floor, and he says, I'm hiding the faces for security reasons, but I'm doing a Bible study in a leper colony. do with that? It was just a week ago. Sitting in a leper colony in a war zone that's so hot that he can't even photograph the faces of the people. And he's serving. Who's sitting there? It's Jesus sitting there. Right? Because this is what Jesus would do. Always so jealous of them. <laughs> Nothing was beneath Jesus because he came to serve. It wasn't in spite of his greatness that he did these things, but because of it. And he expects us to follow his example. John 13, 12 after Jesus had washed his disciples' feet and had put his outer garment back on, he sat down again. Then he said, do you understand what I've done? 
You call me your teacher and Lord, and you should because that is who I am. And if your Lord and teacher has washed your feet, you should do the same for each other. I have set an example, and you should do for each other exactly what I have done for you. Can I suggest to you, husbands and wives, in your own home, take some time, read the word of God to one another, have communion, and wash each other's feet. Get on your knees in front of your mate, take their shoes and socks off, put them into a warm basin, and wash them. And then take some kind of ointment or something that you can soften their feet with, and just take the time to minister Jesus Christ through this act of service, because that's what he did for his own. And if you can't do it for your husband or wife, you'll never do it for anyone. If we're not willing to do the menial things, the small unseen things, we do not have a servant's heart. Small tasks show a big heart. Your servant's heart is revealed in little acts that others don't think of doing. Here is an example. Paul gathered brushwood for a fire to warm everyone after a shipwreck in Acts 28.3. And you ever read the story of that? I mean, they, they were out in this storm for days. For days. I mean, the, the pressure. You know, uh, he stopped the Roman soldiers from killing everyone, all the prisoners, because, they, well, if they get away, then will take their place. That was Roman law. If you lost a prisoner, you took their place. You took their prison. So they just kill them all so they couldn't escape. Paul stopped and he said, no, no, listen, I've been talking to Jesus. We're going to be all right. Yeah, the, the boat's going down. We're going to lose all the cargo, but you will not lose a single soul. And they listened to him. Right? Then they go through a shipwreck crash a wooden boat up on the rocks, get scattered and spewed all over the water, and they all get washed ashore on an island. And what's the first thing Paul does? He goes and gathers firewood for the sake of all who survived. That's a servant's heart. He was just as exhausted as everyone else. No task is beneath you when you have a servant's heart. Great opportunities often disguise themselves in small tasks. The little things in life determine the big things. Don't look for great tasks to do for God. Just do the not-so-great stuff, and God will assign you whatever he wants you to do. Before attempting the extraordinary, try serving in ordinary ways. There will always be more people willing to do great things for God than there are people willing to do little things. It is God who will promote you when you can do the small things willingly. When you can do the small things, he can trust you with the more. Matthew twenty-five twenty-one. This is Jesus speaking. He says, his master said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. 
you have been faithful over how much? The small things, right? A little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. So not only do you get a promotion, you get a joy, so you get a promotion into intimacy with the one you serve. Number three, servants pay attention to needs. Servants are always on the lookout for ways to help others and always sensitive to others' cries. When they see a need, they seize the moment to meet it. So how many of you guys uh, stop when you see someone on the side of the road changing a tire? You too? Denise, did you say I do? No? <laughs> I mean, what, what compels you to do that? It's a servant's heart. No? Galatians 6, 9. Let us not grow weary in doing good. For in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. And listen, that's the easy part. We love each other. We know each other. We gather uh, often together, you know. Uh, it's easy to ask of one another for our needs to be met, and it's easy to meet those needs in this gathering. But he doesn't start there. He starts with the everyone. Who's in your everyone circle? Hmm? When God puts someone in need right in front of you, he is giving you the opportunity to grow in servanthood. Opportunity comes, and it also goes. Hmm? We can soon lose it if we don't seize it. Listen, you can drive, zip right past that someone changing their tire. And you'll never know what you missed. What are we doing in a snowstorm? When we heading for the grocery pickup? That guy came by with the walking through the snow with the gas can. Was that you and Bob that morning? Yeah. You know, I mean, they're heading out to do a pickup at Hannaford, and I'm going back in to start unpacking some stuff here, and this guy comes by with a gas can, you know. All the snow on his beard and stuff, and and they go from and I go from. All of us do a beeline towards this guy, you know, like you're not walking by here anymore. One of us is going to get you in a vehicle and take you where you need to go, right? I mean, that's what should happen in that situation. Verse 
We miss many occasions for serving because we lack sensitivity or spontaneity. Great opportunities to serve never last long. They pass by quickly, and some never return. You may only get one chance to serve that person, so take advantage of the moment. Think about this past week. Were there opportunities to help which you did not seize? You think of someone, ah, I wish I had, I wish I had, because right? it'll nag at you like that. Right? Number four, servants do their best with what they have. Servants don't make excuses. They don't procrastinate or wait for better circumstances. Servants never say, one of these days or when the time is right. They just do what needs to be done. Ecclesiastes 11.4 in the NIV says this, Whoever watches the wind will not plant. Whoever looks at the clouds will not reap. I, I like it in the, um, the Living Bible. It says it this way. If you wait for perfect conditions, you will never get anything done. <laughs> right? Servants don't wait for personal per perfect conditions. You just do what they've been told to do. They recognize the need, and they step into that in service. God expects you to do what you can with what you have wherever you are. I'll say that again. God expects you to do what you can with what you have wherever you are. Even in your weakness. It's in your weakness that he shows himself strong. Right? The less equipped you are to do it, the more glory he gets from it, the more he'll give to you to accomplish it. Less than perfect service is always better than the best intention. One reason uh, many people never serve is that they fear that they are not good enough to serve. They have believed the lie that serving God is only for the superstars. We haven't done that course, they say. We, we aren't good enough or, or as good at it as you are or so-and-so is. You may have heard it said, if it can be done with excellence, don't do it. If it cannot be done with excellence, don't do it. Jesus never said that. Jesus is not as concerned with excellence as he is with heart and character. The truth is, almost everything we do is done poorly when we first start doing it. When was the last time you started a new job? Right? That first week can be really awkward, can it? Right? Week or two into it, and all of a sudden you got the you got the rotation, you got the momentum. All of a sudden you're just just moving along and you're getting better and better and better and better. Right? That's the way it works. Same thing with servanthood. It can be really awkward to step out of your comfort zone. But when you step into the situation and you see God stepping in with you and how powerful that can be, uh, it just gets easier and easier and easier. The truth is, yeah, almost everything we do is done poorly when we first start doing. That's how we learn. None of us can do a perfect job. If you want to wait until you are perfect, you'll never start. 
You may not have much, but offer what you have to God. Right? And, and let me just throw a little item in here. Offer what you have to God. Do you know what that package looks like on the expectation that God has for that offering? Do you think it's just your skill or how smart you are, how handsome or pretty you are? Do you think that's what he wants to use, those little capacities? He wants all of you every part of you. That's what Jesus purchased on the cross. He didn't go to the cross saying, ah, if I die for these people, you know, they'll do a bunch of good things. Or they'll build a church. Or they'll start a food pantry. Or they'll have colleges. Christian colleges, oh, I can see it now. Christian colleges, wow, I'll be famous. He didn't think of any of that. He thought of you. He thought of your life. He thought of your love. He thought of all that he could give away of himself through the life that you live. Right? Until he could say to the Father, Dad, it's finished. It's finished. For you. Offer yourself to him. Grow as you do it. Whether it is praying for the sick, leading in prayer, preaching, or whatever. As God's call is there, his hand is there. So what you do, what do we have? So what do you? What do you have available right now? You have you as a unique person in Christ. You have something to offer the world that nobody else has. You have you. I cannot present Denise to the world. It will not work. What she has to offer can't come through me. It has to be her. And if she doesn't, then the world misses out on that. It misses out on Christ expressed through Denise's life. Somebody will suffer the loss of that, never knowing the comfort or the love or the words of kindness or the, the drive to the hospital or some kind deed. You all stand in that place as image bearers of Jesus Christ. So today we've gathered together in Jesus' name. So what's he say about that? Wherever two or more gather together, what happens? There am I in the midst of them. So we've gathered in his name. He's here. He's present right now in this room. We've entered into praise and worship, which is the atmosphere of heaven. When you, when, when you visit heaven, when you pass through heaven, however that works in kingdom dynamics, 
and you breathe in, if, if, if the Spirit breathes, you will breathe in worship and high praise. It will not be oxygen. It will be worship and high praise. It's continual. It's invasive. It encompasses all that heaven is. We've been there today. The atmosphere of heaven was welcomed in this morning when you lifted up your voices and lifted up your hands and you called on the name of Jesus Christ. The windows of heaven opened and the curtains rolled back and the atmosphere of heaven drifted down because it's heavier than oxygen and filled this room. So we have his presence. We have his atmosphere here today. We've been in the word of God so we know his will. By his word, we know how to act, how to live, how to relate to one another. And as a born-again believer, you have Christ in you, which is the hope of glory. Whose glory? It's only one that gets glory, right? Why were you created? To bring glory to the Lord, right? So Christ in you is the hope of glory, the hope that whatever I offer will glorify the Father. So I want to do something. Martha touched on this earlier. Uh, I just feel like there is a a very strong uh, desire of the Holy Spirit this morning uh, that we would pray for one another because of all I just shared with you. Christ is in the midst of us. Heaven's atmosphere is here. We've been in his word. You have his word vibrating inside your being right now, right? And there's hope. There is hope residing in you. So I want to ask, and first I want to tap into Bonnie Hill. You know, she's going in for some surgery. Anyone ever gone in for surgery? Do you know what it's like leading up to that, that anxiety? You know? And that sucks. You know, I, I hate that place of, of this anticipation of what ifs. You know, she needs our prayer. What if, what if one of you laid hands on her and said, Lord, heal her. She doesn't need the surgery and, and she got healed. What if, who'd get glory out of that? Jesus, the Father would be glorified, right? The hope of glory. Right? And why wouldn't he? You know, he saw that mother walking by with her her dead son on the way to the graveyard, Jesus, you know. And he stopped the funeral procession. He says to the widow, what's this, my son? Get up. Get up. And raised him from the dead. Why? Because he was moved in compassion for her. So maybe he'll be moved in compassion for Bonnie Hill this morning. And she won't have to go for that surgery. I don't know. It's a possibility. So what other needs do we have? Does anyone have a need in the room? I mean, it can be physical. It can be emotional. Yeah, yeah, put your hand up. All right, physical. You got a physical need, right? All right, yeah, but keep your hands up. Emotional. Any, any mental conditions? I'm serious. Any mental conditions? Listen, listen. You can be bipolar, you know? I mean, you can just be going through an imbalance in, in, in your chemicals, through stress and anxiety. You know, all of that is going on in the head. 
You know, I mean, our thought lives can be just this side of hell. Do you want to live there? Do you want to keep that? No. Jesus addresses all of that. Come unto me, all you are heavy laden and burdened. I will give you rest. I will give you rest. So those with a need, just put your hand up. The rest of you, stand up. Come on, Ray, get that hand up. We know, we know. No, no, you got to sit down. You just sit down and have your hand up. We know you have a need, all right? So look around at the, the hands that are raised uh, and cluster around these individuals. Let's, let's take five minutes, five minutes, right? And serve this individual with prayer. Serve them with your words directed towards heaven and allow the atmosphere of heaven to come as healing grace through you, that you would be an image bearer of Jesus Christ today for the well-being of your brother and your sister in this room. Right? So Holy Spirit, we welcome you. We say come. Come, Holy Spirit. As the presence of Jesus Christ in this room to heal and to serve and to minister your grace through your bride, through the body of Christ, that we would be able to bring glory to your Father in heaven because of the price you paid on the cross for us, that we might bless you and honor you by our servanthood this morning. Come, Holy Spirit. Just go ahead and, and minister that grace.